Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others aspiring to be them can follow in their footsteps. Okay, folks, uh, welcome to another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. This afternoon, we have uh, Ben Beasley from the law firm, and I'm going to read it, Rollins, Smalkin, Richards, and Mackey. You got it. It's a mouthful. <laughs> awesome. Or otherwise known as RSRM. <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay, good. Well, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. Uh, just got to ask a question. It's latte with a lawyer. So what's your favorite morning beverage to get going? It's literally just black coffee. Uh, no, no Keurig. Uh, I have my own uh, coffee pot sitting in my office. Uh, so that's my Monday through Friday beverage of choice. Uh, on the weekends, I might grab a latte. Uh, but yeah, just regular plain old black coffee, no room, no sugar, no cream, no nothing. Straight up. Good. You got yeah, it. Yeah. I've had a few people tell me they actually do drink a latte, but I think that's a luxury, right? Most people don't drink a latte. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just the, just the, uh, the stuff to get you going. Yeah. Maybe we should change this to, to black coffee with a, with a lawyer. I don't know. <laughs> black coffee, the litigator, I guess. So. The litigator. There you go. Yeah. That's even better. Okay, good. <laughs> So, uh, so tell me, uh, to, or tell us, what kind of um, law you practice? Sure. So, uh, Rollins or RSRM is a general uh, litigation practice. Okay. Uh, we handle mostly insurance defense matters. Okay. Uh, we also handle uh, some construction litigation, uh, uh, workers' compensation. It's part of the general practice at Rollins. Uh, as far as what I do. It's primary litigation-based, uh, some insurance disputes within the Maryland Insurance Administration uh, in litigation. Okay. And on the defense side, everyone's defense? Primarily. Uh, you know, we we don't really, uh, most of our agreements and, and work is uh, with insurance companies. Uh, we take on personal cases. Uh, right now, I'm representing an individual with a, a traffic court situation. I also have a personal in, couple of personal injury matters that I'm uh, prosecuting as well. Oh, good. Uh, so we don't limit ourselves, uh, you know, but we try to make sure we don't uh, run into conflicts with a lot of the clients we have. Okay. And the law firm is not that big, right? How many lawyers? Yeah, about 14 lawyers. Uh, I think office staff altogether is about uh, uh, 22, I believe, total. Okay, cool. And uh, you said you're from Alabama and you made your way up to Baltimore. I did. Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in uh, Alabama, born in Montgomery, grew up in Mobile, Alabama, along the coast. Uh, made my way to Virginia to finish uh, high school and then go to college. Uh, and then uh, when uh, law school was calling me, I uh, came up to Baltimore at the time. My sister was living there, actually, and uh, went to law school there and just decided to stick around. The rest is history. Wow. So uh, how'd you, I mean, that's a big change, isn't it? Going from mobile. How'd you, how'd your family end up in mobile? Is that where your family's from or? Does... No, not at all. I, I family's actually originally from, uh, uh, from Virginia, I'm sorry, from Alabama. Uh, we moved to Virginia. Uh, my dad uh, uh, changed jobs and ended up in Southwest Virginia outside of Roanoke. Um, I stayed stuck around Virginia, went to uh, college in uh, Shenandoah University, which is kind of the Northwest section of the state. Yeah. Uh, and I went there for music, uh, music education and um, taught within the Virginia public school system for about about six years uh, before making that transition to law school. Yeah, that's a big that's a big shift. So why why the shift? What happened? What was the epiphany? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of found myself at a, uh, you know, kind of uh, 
interesting point. I, I, it was around 2009, you know, when the initial uh, crash was happening and, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, I, I was a teacher at the time and, and I liked what I did, but I was like, well, I can, I can do this the rest of my life or I can, you know, look for other things. And I just began to look and read and whatnot. And, and what, what really did it for me, I have an uncle in Alabama who's a lawyer. He did litigation uh, when he first started out. Now he has his own real estate practice in Birmingham, Alabama. And he was telling me a little bit about his path, uh, the path of some of the other attorneys that he's worked with and worked for. And uh, it kind of piqued my interest. So, you know, I started picking up books to learn about uh, the practice of law, going to law school. Uh, next thing you know, I was studying for the LSAT, taking the LSAT. And, uh, you know, walking away from teaching was, uh, was really tough. But, I mean, I got to say, uh, you know, I've taken a lot of the lessons I've learned as a teacher with me yeah. uh, at every step of the way. I would think so. You seem like a teacher. You have that presence about you that you be a teacher. I don't know. Right? I get that a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. So is that kind of your demeanor when you're practicing law and litigating or you get tough yeah. demeanor? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I think that um, especially as a litigator, you you kind of have to take on this kind of role as a teacher. Um, you know, the things I was doing uh, in my former nine to five as a teacher was getting a group of very young students, anywhere from preschool up through high school and trying to teach them concepts, uh, things, facts that they had no idea uh, uh, about, and they weren't interested in. Yeah. Um, fast forward to, you know, within the past few years, I'm in front of juries who have no interest in being there, no idea what the case is about, no idea you know, the facts, the processes we're trying to go through. And you got to build a way to explain to these, you know, six or seven, you know, jurors that are sitting there uh, and explain it not only in a way that's coherent, but also interesting too. Um, otherwise, right. if they're not listening to you. They're not going to retain it. And remember it, uh, you know. So it's it's always just figuring a way to, you know, communicate what you, you know behalf of your client to uh, have the folks listen to you, uh, you know, kind of understand what your side's where your side's coming from. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you're right. That's, there's a pretty good through line there. Then that maybe you were prepared mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It transitions over. Now, so I mean, there's isn't there? There's a strong correlation between music and like math and science and stuff. Are you are you like a math guy too? Not exactly. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that uh, when I was when I was in um, undergrad and I was really kind of focusing a lot on uh, on music at that time, I had people tell me they're like, oh, yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of lawyers uh, or a lot of musicians transition to being very good lawyers. And I just kind of wrote that off. It's like, ah, it's just, you know, lip service. Um, the dean of the law school when I first went to University of Baltimore was actually actually kind of uh, had that same. Uh, position so that you know a lot of great musicians have come through law school and done a really great job interesting and i, I think what i kind of learned from that or, or or what i learned is that there's some there's some truth to that uh as a musician a classical musician uh, i'm used to locking myself in a practice room and practicing on end for hours on end if i can uh and the same was true when i was studying the law uh, i had no trouble finding a corner uh uh, you know, Carol and the uh, basement library and just, you know, doing whatever I need to do to finish the memo or brief the case that I had to, you know, do for the class the next day. Uh, so I, I, you know, in terms of the focus and the amount of time and effort uh, it took to learning the law, I had no trouble transitioning that having been a former musician. Interesting. That's a, yeah, that's a good skill set. Well, what kind of, when you say uh, classical musician, did you play, what instrument did you play? So I was, uh, my instrument was the, the French horn. 
Oh, nice. Uh, brass instrument. Yeah. yeah. So did that, uh, picked it up in middle school and played, uh, you know, uh, quite some quite some time through my mid-20s. I uh, have not played in quite a while, so it would not yeah, sound yeah. very good right now. There's not many people that play the French horn, right? No, no. I mean, it's a classical instrument by, you know, by trade. You know, so I was, uh, I played in a lot of bands and symphonies and things like that. I was just, uh, did a little bit of, you know, minor solo work here and there. So, but it, it was fun while it lasted. Uh, you know, I appreciate the time I, I, uh, I had doing it, but now, you know, kind of being, you know, on the spotlight in the courtroom, yeah. uh, it's kind of my new thing. And, and I enjoy it just as much as I did uh, when I was a musician. Yeah. Well, you still can play it a bit. I, I know plenty of guys that, you know, they, they, they're lawyers or business people and they still have a band on the side. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a few, a few myself. So, so not, not for you though, you're done with it. No, I, I mean, for me, like, you know, just to keep the chops going, it takes, you know, uh, you know, hours of practice a week. And, you know, and, you know, I've tried to find other things, you know, mediums to, yeah, you know, to, uh, you know, get things uh, to, to, you know, I guess to relax and everything. So, uh, uh, you know, that and, uh, you know, the, my, the, the noise uh, transmitting between my uh, neighbors, you know, they may not appreciate it as much. So <laughs> where do you living in a row home in Baltimore anyways. So, oh, is that where do you live? What part of Baltimore? I live in uh, Dunn Federal Hill. It's uh, kind of the south part of Baltimore, sure. just south of the harbor. So uh, oh, that's a nice spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's a stone th throw from work. I can uh, you can walk in, take a bus and scooter in if I you know if I want to. So uh, it's not bad, not bad at all. Oh, wow. I, I, is your office in, in right in the city of Baltimore? Yeah, we're, our office. Uh, we moved there about three years ago. It's in the First National Bank building, which is uh, close to Inner Harbor. Uh, I love it because you know we've got views of the uh, the water down there and everything. So it's, oh, uh, yeah, it's a great it's location. Great. I, I I know Baltimore pretty well. I spent a lot of time there, but I, I used to do business with Leg Mason and yeah, Pratt Street. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Baltimore is an interesting city. I like it. It is. But, yeah, yeah. So how long you live there now? I have been in Baltimore. Uh, I moved there in the fall of uh 2011 so just a little over a decade now is, okay, uh, good. in baltimore yeah and then lived in the city the in the, in the city in uh, different neighborhoods uh throughout my entire time there yeah very good mm -hmm. um so are you are you doing jury trials do you actually get in front of a jury yeah i've i've probably in the in the firm i'm at now i've probably had um almost 10 jury trials at this point um Mostly in Baltimore City, a couple in Baltimore County, one in Hartford County. Uh, so in kind of that in kind of that Baltimore uh, geographic area. Okay, so you're definitely you you're getting to get it, get a chance to get in front of a jury. And I know most things settle, right? So, but. yeah, yeah, a lot settle. Um, but we also, you know, we also have a you know a, a district court practice, district court of Maryland. Uh, so I've had a num. I mean, I've probably had, I, you know. I've, I don't think I'd be lying if I said I had close to about a hundred bench trials. Oh, wow. A lot of those are just, you know, you know, they just, you know, sent us out and say, you know, go for it. Um, and like, like I mentioned, we recently, we've started doing some work with uh, insurance companies, the Maryland insurance administration, uh, office administrative hearings. So I've had uh, uh, you know, a number of those hearings as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So how do you, how do you prepare? You're a, you're a plugger, right? That's my word. You like yeah. to get ready and prepare and make sure you're going to perform at your best. So how do you prepare when you're going to do a jury trial? Yeah. Uh, jury trials, um, you know, are, are definitely different than, than, you know, any other, you know, hearing, whether it be an oral argument or a bench trial or administrative hearing um, you've got to, you know, you got to think of a great theme, 
and have a very consistent theory that you're going to present to the uh, jury uh, and make sure you tell them that at the very outset. Um, you know, I, I try to think of a, a couple of words, a phrase, something like that, that I'm going to use uh, constantly in my opening and my closing uh, to have the jury kind of remember uh, what I said and why I said it, why my client feels a certain way about the case. Um, so they'll, they'll, that way they'll remember that when they go back to deliberate. Um, you know, I, I also, um, you know, I think technology is pretty big with jury trials. Um, try to have, you know, some kind of, uh, uh, it's not a, a PowerPoint presentation, at least something to put in front of a jury, you know, yeah. and if not, you know, technology-based, uh, you know, you know, some kind of a blow up of like a picture or something like that, because, you know, I think as time marches on, you know, more and more juries, uh, jurors are used to having laptops or smartphones or things like that, you know, where they, yeah. they can see things and hear things in conjunction uh, as, uh, as a, not only a former teacher in the public schools, but uh, in addition to practice, I also am a uh, adjunct professor at University of, Bal University of Baltimore School of Law where I coach a mock trial team. Oh, nice. Oh, um, good. Yeah, yeah. And I've been doing that really since uh, graduating back in 2014, some as a volunteer basis. But, uh, you know, we're always pushing uh, technology as well. Uh, you know, I've, I've, you know, when the pandemic hit, learned uh, very quickly how to make use and use Zoom as best as possible, sharing screen, uh, yep. using presentations in conjunction with that. I, and, and even today, you know, we're still doing a lot of, uh, uh, depositions via Zoom, uh, just because it's easier, cuts down travel, traffic, all that stuff. And you can do just about everything, if not more with Zoom, uh, as you could, uh, you know, uh, in person. So it's, um, I, I found that to be a, a great tool, actually, with um, uh, uh, defending and prosecuting some of the cases I've had. Yeah, interesting. So with what, what are you trying to, with the mock trial coaching at, at, at the university, what are you trying to teach those students? Yeah, so it's, it's uh, you know, the competition that we focus on is the national trial competition down in Texas. And it's, it's a uh, jury-based uh, mock trial organization um, that, uh, that uh, facilitates a regional, a regional competition followed by a national competition. Um, the thing I love about the competition is that it switches every year between civil and criminal. Uh, this past year, we were doing criminal, a criminal case, and next year, we'll be doing a civil fact pattern. Okay. Uh, so you get a little bit of both worlds. Um, but yeah, it's basically just teaching uh, students who have never uh, been on a mock trial, never, sometimes they've never even seen a trial, how to put on a full jury trial from start to finish, both with preliminary matters, motions, eliminate, moving to the openings, the examinations of their witnesses, both lay witnesses and expert witnesses, uh, preparing motions for judgment or judgment of acquittal, and then also uh, arguing the case both um, uh, in closing and a rebuttal as well. Uh, so that's been that's been fun. It's, it's also been you know great kind of um, lesson reminder to me in my own practice. You know yeah. things to do and not to do. Uh, you know where to stand, how to interact with the jury, uh, uh, things you arguments you want to make, arguments you want to stay away from, uh, those kind of things. Uh, so like I said, I've been doing that since 2014. Uh, we've always uh, made it to the you know got to the regionals and came just shy of making advancing, but this past year, our team actually advanced two nationals, went down to Texas to compete with some of the best teams in the country. And it was a great experience to not only watch them compete, but also watch their competition from, you know, California, Texas, uh, the Midwest. I mean, different schools with different schools of thought and how they want to mm -hmm. try a case and to see what uh, all their teams and coaches came up with. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we go to a lot of these um, events 
you know, uh, Trial Lawyers University, Trial College. Are, are you part of any of those? You attend any of those events? No, no, not really. I, you know, the the comp the the school just kind of you know, sends us out to this competition. That that's uh, that's all. I'd love to get involved a little more with those, but um, but you know, I, even at the regional level with the competition, just seeing a lot of the schools that uh, that come from our region in D.C., Maryland, uh, Widener over in Delaware, and then some of the schools down in Virginia, mostly Northern Virginia. Uh, just to see the th different things they come up with and, and yeah. their styles and presentations. It's, it's always fun to watch and just kind of, you know, because, you know, as you, as you practice a fact pattern within your own school, everyone kind of develops a hive mindset. You know, what, what facts are most important? What law needs to be argued? Those kinds of things. Then when you get outside of that and practice, practice against other teams, uh, you kind of get a sense for what their themes and their theories of the case are. And it's always very interesting to see what uh, yeah. what they come up with using the exact same uh, documents and facts and evidence as well. So how do they select the winner? Like what's, what's, what's the criteria? Yeah. So, you know, as, as far as I know that the judges are provided these competitions, a, a rubric to go from, and, you know, it's kind of things like, you know, um, and they're great on their openings, their examinations, each student gets to do one cross and one direct, and then uh, they do a closing. One of the students is a closing. And, you know, they're, they're, in terms of the opening, it's, you know, presenting a, a clear theory and vision of the case, uh, incorporating a theme, explaining all the, the witnesses that the jury will hear and all that good stuff. Um, in terms of the, you know, examinations, you know, was it clear and concise? Was it in a, uh, in a good order? Did it make sense? Uh, yeah. On cross, did the attorney use uh, effective impeachment opportunities? And then in closing, it's uh, things, uh, you know, uh, you know, whether they incorporate the law and applied that to the facts of the case, or at least the evidence that came out during the, the during the uh, case. And, and also, too, there's, a, there's, you know, whether or not the teams objected appropriately, meaning, did they make objections that they won on? Uh, or did they and did they respond to objections appropriately and making good counter arguments? Um, so we have to incorporate all that stuff into uh, into the uh, uh, competition and uh, in terms of what the students prepare for. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, really interesting. I mean, I've never seen it, but uh, you know, I've I've had a few people talk about uh, this. In fact, there was another uh, person a while ago that we had on here that did similar thing. I think it was at uh, at Fordham. Yeah. Plus, okay. Yeah, they they yeah. have a great program out there. I, I, I've never um, I, I've never seen that school before, but I know they sent at least one, if not two, schools to the national competition and. I've met their coach once before, Adam Schlehet, I think is his name, and he's a okay. he's a nice guy. I, I, I've, I've, he's well, very well regarded in the uh, uh, law school mock trial community, and his teams always do very, very oh, well okay. every every year. Uh, so yeah, that's a great program for a uh, 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 trial competition. Yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. Makes sense, New York. You know, yeah, probably yeah, a little more intense. Yeah, yeah. We it was funny. We um, in prepping for the regionals, and the regionals this year were via Zoom. We we're in person once we get the nationals. We actually scrimmaged against um, uh, a team from New York. I want to say it was uh, uh, Brooklyn Law School. Mm. Uh, and again, very you know you know very different personality. You know, very New York you know style. Uh, you know, uh, so it, it's always fun to kind of get a get a you know go to these competitions or compete via Zoom, whatever, and get a cross section of really the whole United States just to see kind of you know what the yeah, style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The folks out on the West Coast or you know, a little more, a little more laid back or a little more maybe dramatic in their presentations, you know, right. it's it, nothing wrong with it. It's just, you know, it, it, in fact, it's a lot of fun to watch. Sure. Uh, you know, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's always good to see what uh, other folks are doing.
Yeah, no, I see, I'm sure you pick up bits and pieces. I mean, it's interesting to watch other styles. I'm sure mm -hmm. you can learn from it, right? Yeah. Oh no. I, I, even in my own practice, you know, I, I mean, there, you know, I, I don't. Very rarely do I walk away from a trial where I don't learn something, you know. And and usually watching the other side, you know, it's like I like the way that attorney asked that question. I, I like the way she used that piece of evidence. Um, occasionally you see things you, you don't want to do as right. well, yeah, yeah. you know, either, either and sometimes that, you know, middle of myself, it's like, yeah, I should, probably shouldn't have, you know, argued a little bit differently, or maybe, maybe I shouldn't have asked that question or a few, few, maybe ask a few, few, uh, you know, a few, uh, question, a few less questions yeah. than I did. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, you always have to be learning something and picking up something new. And, and that really comes from watching others do it as well. Got it. So, Maybe you never lost a case. I don't know. I'm going to ask you, but if you did lose one, what what was it? Do you think went wrong? Oh, you know, I, I I always remember the ones I lose, but I always know where I can try to pinpoint what I what what, what happened. Um, mm. I would say one of one of the 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 biggest losses or the most disappointing losses I had was one where, like, you know, I mean, I really went in thinking I'd, I'd win on liability. It was an auto tort case. Uh, it seemed pretty clear, but the jury just didn't find in my client's favor. Uh, I mean, a couple of things. I, you know, I think uh, I think at the end of the day, the jury just kind of liked the plaintiffs a little bit better than my client. I think that, you know, I think I learned that, you know, that makes a big deal to juries sometimes. Yeah, I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. Likeability, yeah. 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 And, and, you know, in terms of, you know, valuing cases, it's something I've had to look at and think about more. Um, the other, a couple of other things, too, is, you know, I, my theory, or I guess my plan of attack in that case was really attacking the plaintiffs, well, the, the two plaintiffs and the co-defendant on their different versions of what happened. I mean, none mm -hmm. of them could agree on what happened. And so I spent almost all if, uh, or most of my closing just saying, well, they can't agree on what happened. And I really think that I sh it probably would have been better if I focused more or at least as much on what my client said, because I thought she presented a very reasonable and understandable perspective of what happens and so, mm -hmm. so i you know i walked away from that thinking that you know maybe if i'd spent a little more time in closing focusing on the uh facts of the case through her perspective uh maybe we might have had a different outcome yeah. as well um so yeah i, I mean I've, i i learned a lot from that case and i mean it, it, it's always tough to get a loss but uh you know as long as you're learning something from it you know and, yeah. and i tell the younger younger attorneys at, uh, at our firm look, you know, if you're going to lose a case, that's fine. It's going to happen, but, you know, figure out why and, and, uh, you know, make sure you incorporate the next time you prep for a case and to make sure you avoid the pitfalls you fell into, uh, the last time around to, uh, yeah, sure yeah. better outcome. Do you have a chance to talk to the jurors after the case to, to get some feedback? You know, I, occasionally, I, you know, a lot of the jury trials I've had, uh, there's been some matters I've had to handle with the judge and the other attorneys at the end of the case. Um, the one time I, I was able to, um, it, it was interesting. It was a case where we kind of reached some agreements where we, wouldn't, we, didn't really, we weren't really going to call the experts at trial. We were just going to put some of the reports in just in exchange for some caps and things like that. Um, and one thing I, you know, I thought was interesting is, you know, talking to the jurors, um, they actually wanted to hear from some of the experts. You know, they, they, they were less interested in reading some of the reports. Yeah, that makes sense. And actually yeah. wanted to hear from the experts themselves to assess the credibility and, and, and really uh, get an understanding of, of why the... Um, and really more so from the plaintiff's experts and doctors in that case, because they were making some permanent injury claims in that matter. And the jurors afterwards said, yeah, we, we, we kind of wanted to hear from that doctor to say why this person can't do X, Y, and Z other than just 
writing on a piece of paper. And I thought that was interesting. It's kind of given me some perspective on, you know, when and how to use experts or their reports and trials uh, moving forward. Mm. And do you use focus groups and do you do your own mock trials before you go to? You know, I've never, I've never had an occasion to do that, but uh, I think, you know, if you have a case that, you know, uh, where you can you know, justify the expense, it's absolutely great to do. Um, I, I know of, of attorneys who have done that before. And yeah. it's so interesting. Some of the things you learn about from these focus groups or, or mock jurors that, that, you know, things they focus on in case you never would have, you know, realized. Um, I, I, you know, that being said, though, you know, kind of on a, uh, uh, you know, smaller scale, um, yeah. I run, you know, cases coming for trial by people all the time, you know, sure. uh, friends of mine, family of mine. Um, I, my wife, who's actually an attorney as well. She's an yeah. attorney. She actually, we actually work together. Oh, nice. um, she and I are sometimes, you know, for the bar, we might run to, a, to someone we're talking to and say, hey, let me run this case by you. Let me know what you think. We've done that a number of times. And it's so funny to hear the different reactions from people. Uh, of what they think is important or, or why they might, you know, reach a certain th- uh, outcome. And obviously they, they don't know everything. They don't know all the facts. They haven't yeah. uh, heard the testimony, but, um, you know, just, just running things by um, either other attorneys or non-lawyers is always a great way to really kind of gauge your case to kind of, you know, uh, you know, in terms of what you think the potential outcomes might be. Interesting. So what other, uh, are there any other technologies that you guys leverage in your practice? I mean, other than Zoom and email, I mean, like for working trials, preparing discovery, things like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Zoom has been the, the, the biggest, um, uh, uh, you know, piece of technology we've used, yeah. say, in the past uh, year, at least since the pandemic. Sure. Um, I have not had the occasion to use them, but, you know, I, I really think, you know, one of the things that's emerged, particularly in personal injury matters um, or medical malpractice for that matter, are models of the actual injury. I, you know, it's a oh, medical it, illustration, medical. Exactly. Illustration. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, having been, you know, having been a law clerk in, in Baltimore County with a judge who handled a lot of different trials, you know, I, I especially the medical malpractice, but even some of the personal injury matters where I'm trying to describe these specific types of injuries is night and day what even someone such as myself who wasn't a lawyer, just a law clerk understood about the case when I actually saw models and diagrams versus just some doctor talking about it or some lawyer trying to explain it. Um, You really have, it, it really kind of helps conceptualize what the issues are. And quite frankly, I think, you know, for a juror, um, it makes it more interesting too, and, and yeah. makes, makes them potentially more invested in the case. Um, I have also used um, uh, motor vehicle accident re- reconstruction experts, and, and I often want them to use 3D models to the best of their ability when they can to uh, model uh, accidents and trajectories of vehicles. I've had n- several cases, all of which have settled, but several cases involving human factors issues where my client, who undoubtedly caused an accident, uh, there were uh, explanations for it due to available sight distance, perception, reaction times. And, you know, again, to say that to a juror and say, oh, the average perception reaction time is 1.5 seconds. It's one thing, but to show a juror, okay, well, this is what, you know, Mr. Smith, the defendant, Mr. Beasley's client actually saw or experienced in the moments leading up to this crash. That's a very different thing. And I think it's actually very palpable for a jury. Yeah. Uh, and although we, we're not allowed to make, um, you know, uh, violate the golden rule and make, you know, you know, ask the jurors to put themselves in the client's shoes. 
you show models like that and they kind of inevitably are kind of put there, you know, to kind of see the perspective of the different litigants. So I, I think, you know, as time goes on, models for, you know, uh, recreations, um, physical recreations like that really need to be emphasized and used in the, in yeah, the yeah. Well, I know on the plaintiff side, they use these things all the time, all kinds of tools. And you guys are, I mean, literally on the defense, you're like, you're kind of reacting, more reacting to what the plaintiff side is doing, right? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, and, and it makes our job a little easier just because we can kind of, you know, it's easier to, I think, to poke holes sometimes yeah. uh, in things. But, you know, I, I, I honestly, I, I think as, as time goes on, uh, the defense bar is definitely going to have to, you know, find ways to counter uh, uh, the plaintiff's bar, who, who usually does, does a very good job with the models and, and the recreation, yeah, yeah. things like that, to actually show, okay, well, this is what we think caused the incident, and here's why, and it's in, you know, it's here either in black and white on paper, or more importantly, you know, here's, you know, alternative explanation for what happened here, yeah. or how the injury occurred, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, no, I've talked to enough of you guys, I'm sorry, I'm starting to pick that up here, I can hear it, and we, and we I've probably talked to more plaintiff side than defense, but yeah, it seems like you're at a bit of a disadvantage in terms of, you know, using those kind of devices to help. Just, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, sometimes it's tough just because, you know, the, um, I mean, the, the plaintiff's attorneys usually get the, the, the cases in shortly after. Way, way more before you. You're, yeah, you're at a huge disadvantage, I know. Yeah, I, I, we, we can be, you know, a lot of times, you know, um, you know I've often relied on, uh, 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 well, not often, but occasionally, you know, a case warrants a biomechanical engineer perspective where, you know, the, the way the mechanism of injury complained of just could not have caused the actual injury, but, uh, you know, usually to do that, you want to have the actual vehicles that involved in the accident or whatever machinery was used. So that way an analysis can be done and maybe a download yeah. of their black box or uh, airbag control module, something like that. And if, if, you know, the suits filed, you know, a year or two, sometimes, you know, right at the deadline, three years uh, in Maryland, uh, with the statute of limitations, you know, sometimes you don't get that opportunity and it's more of a desk review, which I don't think carries nearly as much weight. Yeah. Anyway, good stuff. Well, listen, just, uh, just to finish this off here, I mean, what do you want people to know about you and your firm and what's the best way to connect? Yeah. So, uh, so like I mentioned earlier, we are a general practice uh, litigation firm. Uh, although our specialties, like I mentioned, are in uh, uh, insurance, defense, workers' comp, things like that. Uh, we have uh, a lot of attorneys with a broad base of experience. Uh, at least three of the attorneys in our firms are former, uh, well, two of them are former state's attorneys. Uh, one is a formal, former public defender. Uh, so we, we definitely take a lot of pride in, in, in re recognizing we have a wealth of experience in a lot of different areas uh, of Maryland law, both on the criminal and civil side. And in terms of the best way to connect with, with us, we have obviously a website, rsrm.com. Uh, the firm also has a, a blog, which you can uh, access on the uh, webpage. Uh, we also sent out a, a quarterly newsletter, uh, actually just went out today, uh, okay. which includes some highlights, updates on Maryland law uh, and, and other matters that are important to some of our clients, new, new appointments of judges and things of that nature. Okay, excellent. Good, good stuff. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure. And uh, again, for uh, everybody, this is uh, Ben Beasley from uh, Rollins, Smalkin, Richards, and Mackey. <laughs> Got it. It's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> I know all these law firms are shortening it. They just go with like the first name or the first two or something. Right. But maybe uh, we will. Maybe we'll. We will. Uh, <laughs>
<laughs> anyway, uh, th thanks again. This has been really good. And this is sponsored by uh, Motion Track, which is a legal tech firm. And we do help litigators um, prepare for trials by gathering insights from nonverbal communication uh, that they use to, uh, to get ready for a trial. So thanks. Thanks a lot, Ben. Thanks so much. You bet.